ready as we're gonna be. Hey, you're right. We are as ready as we're gonna be. <laughs> they heard that. It's been I, a long week, you. guys. <laughs> yeah, that's for everybody. It's been a long week. Come on, man. What's going yeah. on? What's wrong with uh, your life over there? Nothing really is wrong. It's just yeah. It just feels like this year. I mean, both of us are in jobs that are way more demanding. I mean, you're trying to run a town of six or seven thousand people. Five. I've got sales. Five, okay, sorry, you know, and dealing with, you know, elections and budgets and um, to say disagreements between certain individuals uh, in, in your area about how they think things should be versus what maybe they, they, they are and, and are going to be. Um, I'll tell you a story. And then, yeah, I've got I'll tell these... you a story. Okay. This morning, I, I'm going to go back to that in a second. I want to see what else is going on at your end, but... I get in my car after get my coffee. I'm setting up the show as I always do, way too early in the morning. Have my coffee, get into the car. Uh, there's an article about something in my village going on in the newspaper today, and I have the talk radio station on that will normally hit it. I get in my car, and the host is literally talking about me as I'm getting in the car on the radio. I'm like, oh god, and he's like texting me, call his show. <laughs> So I'm driving here to get this show ready, and I'm on a talk radio show locally about politics, all trying to get myself, you know, ready for this thing uh, that we're doing here. It, it, this is where yeah. chaos just ensues in every possible way. So, okay, your life, your job, go. I, you know, I, I, as everyone may may or may not know, I worked in banking for about 18 years, and then a couple years ago, I thought it would be a bright idea to jump back into something that I did in my mid-20s, um, which is executive search. I, I recruit people for banks, basically. Um, and, you know, it's a sales job, and I have certain metrics and quotas now that I didn't carry before. So, you know, the uh, economy has been a little wonky, and yet we get um, constant reminders from our management, like, hey, our numbers are down. What are you doing to sell more stuff? And yeah, I'm just out there working the phones and just trying to make things happen. It's just a very different, um, you know, reality. But and my wife is starting her own business. She's signing leases, and so we're just kind of crazy around here. We don't have as many kids to, to to herd and to get to different places. You know, they're all off in college for the most part. You know, with the exception of my son, the youngest. But um, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's funny. I thought that they, maybe things would calm down once we became mostly empty nesters, but it's been the exact opposite. <laughs> I, uh, I applaud you for uh, having the family aspect of it because uh, my family obviously is my parents, my sister, et cetera, and yeah. uh, they're, they're of the older group. So um, it, it's, uh, look, it, this has been an interesting season for us. In fact, we've gotten to episode 26, 26 episodes here. Uh, really? Is, uh, 26? Incredible. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, listen, uh, we do have to be serious here before we uh, get into the intro. Uh, today would be the 18th birthday of yeah. Mikey Weinstein, correct? And uh, why don't you tell the folks more? Yep. Yeah, and if you've ever been to our Facebook homepage, this is the you know kind of the cover photo, the backsplash. Um, Mikey Weinstein was a was a boy from from Rockaway who unfortunately got diagnosed with pediatric cancer and um, passed away. Uh, boy, was it 2015 now? It just, it's been, um, you know, somebody who we got to know through the Merchant Marine Academy and Coach Toop. Um, you've seen there, yeah, and that, that, that great photo. 
Um, they adopted him, quote-unquote, through the Friends of Jacqueline program, which um, matches up uh, children fighting cancer with um, you know, local sports teams. You know, we've seen um, similar types of things with like Team Impact in New England. It's a really great program. Um, but yeah, just it was just really sad that you know Mikey's time on Earth was cut so short. I got to see him about three months before he passed away. I, I actually drove down to the um, kind of Make-A-Wish Center here in the Orlando area as part of Disney and, and spent my birthday um, with him kind of going on the rides and visiting with his family. And then unfortunately he, he, um, he passed about three months later in May. And uh, you know, it was just a, a, a lovely family and I just, my heart breaks that, you know, he could be a high school senior or a freshman in college, you know, by now and, and doing, you know, kind of getting his adult life started, but it was just cut too short. and. Um, you know, we just send our you know, thoughts and prayers to the Weinstein family and uh, you know, he's, he's been a big part of this show over the last 15 years. Um, you know, he used to listen to us when we were on internet radio and um, he, he, he liked James and Frank. He, you know, we always would joke around about that and when I got to meet him we had a, a, a blast. I, I got to hang out with him a couple times over the years when they would come visit and um, yeah, you know, he always talked about wanting Coach Toop to cut the mustache. <laughs> Uh, you know, but yeah, that, that's, you know, but anyway, yeah. Well, listen, uh, F cancer, uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, let's go to our 26th episode here of season 16 26. of in the huddle as we preview the quarterfinals after talking about week 13. <laughs> Thirty thousand foot view is something we did not get from you last week due to your technical difficulties. Uh, yep. So uh, yeah. fly that airplane right into our uh, homes here of uh, information about week thirteen, round two of the playoffs. JB, uh, it was one for them. The uh, history books, I would say, go for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was there was a historic upset with with Alma beating uh, Mount Union with 24 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Nobody saw that coming. It was definitely one of the bigger wins in recent playoff history, particularly for a program out of the MIAA, which is not really as highly regarded as you know, some of the other conferences in, in D3, especially when it comes down to the the Elite Eight. But um, the Scots are having a heck of a year. They've got a heck of a quarterback in, in, in Carter St. John. And in a little while, um, we'll get to these uh, some slides here, the tail of the tape that we do every year. And um, there you'll see there's some common denominators across these eight teams. If you want to get to this far in the tournament that you're going to have to have. And um, a QB like Carter St. John is one of them. Um, the other thing, I mean, we saw some other games looking like there might be some potential upsets, but otherwise sort of chalk rained. Um, all the teams that we thought would win did, um, so there weren't any surprises there. Um, I did get a little frustrated, Frank, um, when I tried to comment on, you know, I was, even though I kind of saw it coming on one hand, you know, I thought that, um, you know, the, the way certain fans, you know, sort of handled some of the wins and all that, like I tried to, 
you know, say something nice on behalf of guys like Tucker Horn and, and Braxton Plunk, who are two of the best quarterbacks that I've seen in the last 15 seasons that I've ever, you know, maybe even if you go back to 30 years I've been covering D3 football, they've been outstanding. I just got peppered with, well, so-and-so is better than both of them combined, and this guy is better than these. Like, that's not the point. Uh, and I'm getting sick and tired of fans that are looking to just rain on the parades of these, you know, all-time great All-American kind of players just because they think the guy from their team it's just, it, come on. I mean, D3 is supposed to be the purest form of the sport. Let's let's act like it, you know? And so, I, unfortunately, I had a little bit of a tirade earlier on in the week. I just couldn't take it anymore with some of the, the just the really low-class um, kind of chest beating that I saw from, you know, from certain Twitter trolls and all that. I think we kind of paved that over and we're good <laughs> now, hopefully. But, you know... I just, I, I, for some reason, I just, I lost it. So that was, that was part of my, my 30,000 foot experience. Cause I, you know, things were going well. I thought with these playoffs, things were, you know, our, I think what we've only missed one game so far, you know, which was that Alma upset between you and me, I guess I've missed two. Cause you called the, um, the Grove city win in, in round two, but, um, yeah, I just, that, that kind of was disappointing. I thought we were on a, a different playing field there and, um, you know, hopefully we'll just move past that and see what happens in the next couple rounds. Well, you know, look, um, we had some good uh, discourse about uh, Caleb Carmel, uh, for instance, though, uh, and uh, yeah. folks uh, agree with uh, the fact that he is of quality that might be next level quality. And, uh, you know, some discussed his size, uh, you know, questions and whatnot. And, you know, you learn a lot as you go into those questions because I didn't know what the average uh, size of a linebacker in the NFL was, but it, it, he actually fits somewhere inside the range, not necessarily the best fit in that, but uh, yeah. he, what he's got in skill and everything else, it's amazing. And so we'll see what he's able to do. I know he's got intent to see what's out there for the next level, and we wish him the best on that. Tucker Horn as well. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, players. And the blessing we have here on this show right now is that we, by expanding the show, have gotten to a point where we are able to help identify talent that is beyond what we are normally seeing in Division Three over our years here and yeah. interacting mm -hmm. with those people. And to be able to say, hey, see you maybe in the pros at some point is a blessing truly because there aren't many players in Division Three that you can say that about. And here we are identifying people with these attributes that you just can't believe. I mean, uh, you know, ben Thorson threw only two interceptions all season. Tucker Horn threw three interceptions all season, all in one game, uh, which was last week. Yeah. Luke Lanin is special. He's going to be playing baseball professionally or football professionally. Uh, I don't know which, but he's going to be doing something professionally with sports. He's got to be at the end yeah. of the day. Caleb Harmel. I mean, yeah. it, those are just a few of, you know, several that actually this year, because of the fifth-year senior scenario, I think we have a bigger pool of possibilities than we've ever had. So keep that in mind. Uh, JB, we're going to do it live again here. So uh, get ready for me to uh, flub it up. Do it live! Say. We're doing it live. It's time for crunch time to go through the second round of the playoffs. That's week 13 of the 2023 Division Three college football season. Start here with Aurora visiting 
UWL, 3.08 left first quarter. It's Jaquay Creighton getting a one-yard touchdown run. Aurora took a 14-0 lead to start this game. Then in the second quarter, 9.22 left in that second quarter, Jack Struder gets an 82-yard touchdown. Uh, ultimately shaking that tackle there from uh, Kaiser Helterbrand to make it 21-14 lacrosse. So 21 straight points for lacrosse to take the lead in the game. Second quarter again, 5.34 remaining. Still Aurora fighting back in this game as Michael Boland gets a 16-yard touchdown pass from Taylor Adkins. And you can see it here to make it 21 apiece in this game. We'll go to halftime at 28-21, UWL, third quarter, 13.01 left in lacrosse's Wyatt Lemoyne, a 42-yard touchdown pass from Kaiser Heltebrand gave uh, the lacrosse team a 35-21 lead. And still, Aurora had a chance here. Three minutes later, you'll hear from Michael Boland again, this time a 17-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Atkins, who you gotta give credit to, the way that he was able to pick up the pieces uh, due to the injury uh, from the original starter. Uh, just, you know, trucking away there at 35-28 and gave his team an opportunity, but fourth quarter, 13-41 left, Ryan Bartol, a 24-yard touchdown pass from Kaiser Heltebrand. That would do it. 56-35 was the final score as Aurora led 14-0 at the end of the first quarter. Kaiser Heltebrand, 399 total yards, five passing and two rushing touchdowns and two interceptions in the game. But, I mean, my goodness, look, Aurora, they, we thought they were pretty much dead when that injury occurred, and they almost pulled it off. Trinity at North Central. Well, we're just going to tell you about the first half here. First, it's Joe Sacco with a six-yard touchdown run a couple minutes into the game. Then tragedy struck. We won't show it here, but Trinity uh, loses the ensuing kickoff, fumbles it away. So you're going to feel like deja vu as they tell you. Joe Sacco, 20 seconds later, gets an 18-yard touchdown run to make it 14-0 North Central leading the game. Three minutes later from there, Colmenego gets a seven-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. As Trinity tries to trim the lead down, it's 14 to seven. He got the foot in, as you can see there, just barely, but it counts, and 14-7 was the score. Then a little bit more of a prolonged drive for Trinity came up. Four minutes later, it would conclude with Caleb Crawford. He gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn to tie the game at 14 apiece. That was pretty much all that we would really talk about Trinity having a chance in this game because here, Sean Allen, a 26-yard touchdown run for North Central. 142 left first quarter, made it 20-14. to And then after another turnover, North Central's Charles Coleman gets a 58-yard touchdown pass. Luke Lanen uh, to Coleman here making it 27-14. That was the first quarter scoring, 41 points in the first quarter. Second quarter, I just told you about Charles Coleman. Let me tell you about him again as he gets the one-yard touchdown run to give, a, a, uh, to give his team a 34-14 lead in this game as he did find the end zone uh, across that goal line uh, on that play. And then finally, 24 seconds left in the first half, Joey Lombardi, a 38-yard touchdown pass from Luke Lanen. That clearly would uh, be all they would need as they would win this game 71-28. to My goodness, a basketball score here as Tucker Horn for uh, Trinity had 30 for 50, 278 yards, four touchdowns on, in the air, but three interceptions. The offense for North Central, 536 total yards, nine touchdowns on the day. Whitworth at Wartburg. 
We're gonna see here 246 left first quarter. Dylan Cook, a two-yard touchdown pass from Austin Ewing. It didn't tie the game, but it made it seven to six because of the extra point being missed. Second quarter, though, Wartburg would finally respond in earnest as Hunter Clawson Turbo gets the eight-yard touchdown run with 828 left, make it 14 to six in favor of Wartburg. 509 left, so about three minutes and 19 seconds later, Thomas Butters, you'll see coming up here. Gets a seven-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin and just barely gets his foot in, but it is good for the touchdown. That made it 21-6 in favor of Wartburg. Then you're going to see a pair of touchdowns to the same player. At the very end of the first half, zero on the clock, in fact, Drake George gets a three-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin to make it 28-6 in favor of Wartburg. And then a minute 16 into the third quarter, back-to-back -back basically here, as Drake George gets a 73-yard touchdown pass this time once uh, we get this play underway from Niall McLaughlin. And uh, as we have the break here, I'm going to tell you that Wartburg just seems to be getting better and better this season uh, offensively. They struggled earlier in the season, and you see that play there. 42-20 to 20 would be the final score in favor of Wartburg as Niall McLaughlin goes 25 for 31, 352 yards, four passing touchdowns. The Wartburg defense held Whitworth to seven rushing yards, it had an interception, a sack, and five tackles for loss on the day. Wheaton at Whitewater, a lot of clips here because this is one of the best games of the late portion of the day. Second quarter, 6.54 left. Seth Kortenhoven, an 18-yard touchdown pass from Ben Thorson makes it 28-14 in favor of Wheaton, but Whitewater would rally back. Third quarter, a minute three into it, it's Tommy Coates getting a 50-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden, former guest of the show, to make it 28-21, still in favor of Wheaton. But then, you're gonna see the Tamir Thomas show start up here. Third quarter, 626 left. It's a four yard touchdown pass to Tamir Thomas to tie the game, 28-28. This was just a knockdown drag out half that you're gonna see here, especially this fourth quarter. As 10 seconds into the fourth quarter, remember that Tommy Coates character that we just talked about? Well, here he comes again. 56 yards this time from Alec Ogden and that would give Whitewater their first lead in quite some time at that point, 35-28, to 28, as he just eludes and gets into the end zone there. Fourth quarter, though, continues. 213 or 223 later, essentially, Ben Bonga heard, for, 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 heard from for the first time, he said. A 14-yard touchdown pass from Thorson. Tie the game again. 35 apiece. Wheaton wouldn't go away. Tamir Thomas, though, says, please do go away. 721 left, six-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden, made it 42-35, Whitewater. Next play, you're gonna see a Gallardi semifinalist in action as Egon Hine is going to, uh, watch this play. This is an amazing play when you uh, look at it. You'll see the pass, you'll see the what looks like completion. No, it was deflected, essentially, as the player is going down, and Hine intercepts it. And that was just one play after the touchdown that we saw from Tamir Thomas. So one play later again, it's going to be Tamir Thomas getting the ball for a 20-yard touchdown run with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. That made it 49-35 Whitewater. So they flipped the script entirely here on Wheaton, taking a two-touchdown lead themselves. We'll go further into the fourth quarter, though. 3.49 left. Ben Banga, a 10-yard touchdown pass from Thorson, trims the lead back to 7 points, 49-42. Wheaton would get one final chance in this game very late. 21 seconds left. They would take possession over, essentially. And you're going to see here first from the one-yard line, 
Watch the completion, the hook and lateral attempt essentially here. Uh, it looks like it was right on the uh, lateral line, so it looks like it was a good call by the refs not to call a forward pass to midfield. And with basically no time left here, 46 sec or 46 yard line, the pass Thorson does, trying for the end zone, comes up short of there, and it gets knocked away, incomplete, and Whitewater wins the game. 49-42, and they advance. Ben Thorson, 26 for 41, 402 yards, five passing touchdowns. Alec Ogden, 312 total yards, four passing touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown on the day. Let's go to the right side of the brackets, and this is the shot heard round the brackets. Alma at UMU, Mount Union. Second quarter, 201 left in that uh, second quarter. First points of the game, DeAndre Parker, two-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0, Mount Union. It will be 10-0 Mount at the halftime mark and the end of the third quarter. Three seconds into the fourth quarter, Cole Thomas from Carter St. John. The eight-yard touchdown pass made it 10-7. Still Mount Union's lead, but it's really close late in the game here for Mount Union. Fourth quarter, 12-17 left. They respond to the Purple Raiders. Darnell Williams, a one-yard touchdown run, made it 17-7 in favor of Mount Union. The teams would trade field goals over the next seven minutes of this game, so essentially that 10-point lead stays in check there for Mount Union. 4.45 left, though, fourth quarter. Nate Webb, a 76-yard touchdown pass. Where was the defense on that play? My goodness. And it's Alma now within four points. Mount Union would be forced to punt, and they would get one more chance. Ultimately, Alma getting this ball downfield, and look at this, past midfield with 50 seconds left, all the way down to the 22-yard line. Eventually, you're going to see they get the ball to the two-yard line with very little time on the clock, down three points. They say, what field goal? They had no timeouts left at this point. 13 seconds left. Looks like he's gonna run. Nope, jump pass, and completed for the touchdown. And Carter St. John finds Cole Thomas for that touchdown for the 24-20 lead. Well, Mount Union still would have one final chance here after the kickoff. And you're going to see the attempt here. Braxton Plunk and his team with basically five seconds left here. Final play in its entirety. The pass and then the lateral fest in this uh, play. And eventually it gets back to Plunk, you'll see in uh, just a moment here. Uh, as he uh, says, I'm open, I'm open. And, you, you know, they would have to go about 90 yards at this point. It just wasn't going to happen. And amazingly, as the player gets pushed out of bounds, it is Mount Union losing, Alma winning. 24-20, DeAndre Parker, 31 rushes, 141 yards, one rushing touchdown. But Carter St. John, as his team streams under the field, 20 for 33, 3 to 3 yards, 3 passing touchdowns, defense at 2 interceptions. Then Grove City of Cortland. Four seconds into the second quarter, Zach Boyce gets a 14-yard touchdown run to take a 14-0 lead in this game. But Grove City would be heard from, and they just wouldn't go away in this game. Just before halftime, Ryan Leonard gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Logan Pfeiffer to tie the game. 14 apiece at halftime. The teams would trade field goals in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, 8.27 left in it. It's Scott Frazier getting a seven-yard touchdown pass from Logan Pfeiffer, and Grove City took the lead 24-17. First lead of the game for Grove City. Then, let's see what happens later. As it's Zach Boys, this is a throw he wishes he could get back off. The wrong foot, essentially, intercepted by Trevor Beck. Grove City looked like they may have been able to ice the game midway through the fourth quarter, but then it's Nico Flotti. 
fumbling the ball at midfield. Right back to Cortland. And eventually, Cortland would get a chance to tie this game, it looked like, as Jaden Alfano St. John gets a one-guard touchdown run with 1.23 left. It's 24-23 at that point, and Cortland decides to go for two. This is a heck of a play. Watch Zach Boys roll to his right side. Fake. He's running out of real estate, but he finds a player in basically triple coverage in the end zone. It's Amari Kendrick. Good for a 25-24 lead. There would be one last chance for Grove City. They got the ball downfield to the 19-yard line. This 37-yard field goal attempt is going to sail wide left, and that would do it. Cortland holds on, wins the game 25-24. Logan Pike for 18 for 30, 197 yards, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. Zach Boyce, 313 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown in the game. Wow. Let's go to the bottom right bracket, and that's going to be Union at Johns Hopkins. We'll start with here. We'll start with Bay Harvey. How mobile is he in this play as he eludes Union? And here he goes, cutting, slicing, and everything else. Slicing, dicing, and Julianning his way to a 13-0 lead in the first quarter. 3.02 left there. But Union would respond, 12.48 left second quarter. Isaiah Russell, a seven-yard touchdown pass from Donovan Picatti, made it 13-7 as Union trailed the game. Then watch this, Cole De Silva forcing a fumble here from uh, Will Jay, and it's going to be taken by James Gillespie all the way down to the Johns Hopkins 7 in the second quarter. This is late in the second quarter. Next uh, play, it's going to be Michael Fiore. The 7-yard touchdown pass just reaches over the goal line for it to make it a 16-14 Hopkins lead. But just 39 seconds later, 7 seconds left in the second quarter, Hopkins responds just before that halftime mark with a touchdown. It's EJ Tellerico from Bay Harvey. 22-14 Hopkins leads. Fourth quarter we'll go, uh, fast forward to. It's going to be a dose of Spencer Ugla. First, a one-yard touchdown run, making it 29-17 in favor of Johns Hopkins. And Ugla, who uh, you may have seen the piece on D3Football.com about him wearing number three and honor John, er, Jim Margraff uh, this season. Johns Hopkins, Spencer Ugla gets a two-yard touchdown run, 39-17 at that point, and that would be the final score as Donovan Picatti went 19 for 38, 169 yards, two passing touchdowns, three interceptions. Spencer Ugla, 17 rushes, 68 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Finally, we're going to tell you about Ithaca at Randolph-Macon, but not much about it, i got to be honest with you folks, because there wasn't much uh, excitement for Ithaca's side of the scoreboard. Second quarter, 424 left. Randolph Macon's Brandon Woolrich gets a 53-yard touchdown pass from Drew Campanelli. 19-0 as they get the uh, lights back on there for us. 19-0, the lead for Randolph Macon. We'll go to the third quarter here as Randolph Macon just pours it on. A 12-yard touchdown run by Jason Moore coming up here to make it 29-0 in favor of Randolph Macon. And I, I just, I have a hard time believing here. Ithaca couldn't get on the scoreboard, but you'll see what happens here. Fourth quarter, 11:21 left, and you're going to see David Wallace getting a 10-yard touchdown pass from Drew Campanelli. That was it. I mean, my goodness, 46 to zero. How often do you see a second-round shutout? But that's what happens here. Mankin with that, outgaining uh, Ithaca 565 to 103 total yards. Uh, they had one sack, five tackles for loss, three interceptions, four break, uh, pass breakups, and Drew Campanelli had two passing touchdowns. JB. That is going to be crunch time for round two of the playoffs in week 13 of the 2023 Division III college football season.
Wow. That was a, that was a lot to, uh, to digest there. Nice job, Frank, as always, especially live without a net. But um, kind of perfect timing to wrap up with the, uh, the Randolph-Macon win. And when you look at the tape, it's that offensive line um, for the Yellow Jackets that really seems to be taking control here in the playoffs. And we might have somebody coming up who's going to be facing that offensive line um, and he's uh, a pretty uh, a pretty big part of the reason why the Blue Jays are the number one seed in their bracket a number one um, you know they've been a, a top 10 team for a while now and uh, you know he's a Campbell Trophy I think semifinalist he's a Gallardi Trophy semifinalist and if uh, the Jays even though I guess you'd say being the home team they're they're the favorites you know, if they're gonna to make it to the um, to the semifinals, they're going to have to figure out a way to stop this big RMC offensive line and rushing attack, which really seems to have had its way through most of the opponents that they played this season. We'll see if the Jays can change it up. Yeah, and go through this uh, slate real quick, and we'll get our guest on uh, after you, uh, okay. we go through at least All this right. side of the bracket real quick. Yeah, as you, as you know, as, you, as we talked uh, about at the top, um, you know, Alma with the upset of the year, and basically ensures that there will be a first-time participant in Stag Bowl 50. So it's going to be either Alma, Cortland, um, Hopkins, or Randolph-Macon. So that, that's exciting. It's a little something different this year. We'll see um, you know, how it shakes out this weekend. The quarterfinal matchups are effectively number 8 versus number 7, number 11 versus number 13 when you look at the um, d3football.com poll. Uh, we'll have a little more color on, on that, though, in our uh, tail of the tape. Um, from a seedings perspective, at least from even though there's quote unquote no seedings, we, we we think we sort of understand you know why certain teams are hosting and others aren't, and we'll get into that in a little later. But yeah, um, I, I'm excited. I think one of the you know when you look at the, just the numbers across the board, there there isn't a lot separating um, these two teams, uh, and they're not that far apart geographically, Maryland to. Uh, to Virginia, so it should be you know good crowd um, there at Homewood Field, which has been on the national stage for obviously Hopkins lacrosse games on ESPN and all that type of stuff. But this weekend, it's all about football, and and I like to joke around. Hopkins is really a football school, Frank, not lacrosse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you tell that to the lacrosse folks. Uh, so listen, um, yeah. I, I really haven't told people, but uh, I, I, I'm going to be, I, if I'm allowed, let, let, let's ask Luke uh, himself. Luke, am I allowed to come back uh, to Homewood uh, and, uh, you know, cover the Where's your hat, tomorrow? Frank? Or, uh, <laughs> good point. Oh, hold on. As, as I knock things down, oh. don't worry about it. We'll, we'll find that. And I, I'm, I'm throwing things around, but <laughs> Sherman here is uh, with us from the Blue Jays. As I get my uh, hat hey, on here. Luke, am I allowed to come back after all the antics that you had to go through at the Muhlenberg game? Yeah, of course. I'm sure I'm sure Mr. Spivak would be happy to see you again. Well, I, I better not play complete homer here uh, because uh, <laughs> we, we don't take uh, rooting interest in any team here. We uh, take rooting interest in players. And, Luke, uh, you've had some exciting things going on for you. Uh, Glarty semifinalist, uh, two-time Campbell Trophy uh, nominee uh, and everything else. Uh, is I mean, those personal attributes, those personal uh, you know accolades and whatnot. I, I, I'm going to guess that you would do anything here to get to the Stag Bowl. Uh, if if you could give those up and get to the Stag Bowl, that's what you would choose to do. Tell us about what this uh, run has been like for you and this team this season, where not many people saw this 
possibility coming where Johns Hopkins has as legit an opportunity as anybody right now to get to the Stag Bowl in Salem, Virginia. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, it's always been our goal to get here. Obviously, our, our number one goal is to win the conference. Um, so we were able to take care of business there. Uh, and then everything we've been working for kind of comes down to this Saturday and then hopefully the Saturdays that follow. Yeah, and speaking of um, winning that conference, and and I know that somebody was you know had a had a really good view of that. But what was it like for for you, Luke, and your teammates who were on the on the sideline? I don't know. Maybe you were you were in on that that field goal attempt when that crazy play happened at Muhlenberg, and and Willage picks it up and runs it in. I mean, you guys were looking at like maybe forcing overtime, but then all of a sudden, it, you guys won the game. And when, what was that whole experience like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't in on the play. I was I was on the sideline kneeling next to some of my teammates, just you know, hoping that hoping that that field goal would go through. Um, when I saw the play, it almost like didn't feel real. It it kind of still doesn't feel real. Uh, I remember like running down the sidelines, uh, like jumping up and down with Coach Camara, and I was kind of like, "Are we? Is it for sure a touchdown?" And I saw the signal, and then I just like ran. It was I like blacked out, kind of ran on the field and. And was just jumping up and down. I was so excited. It was awesome. Yeah, we, sh- we share a piece of history there uh, in terms of uh, the, uh, the response from that play and everything else. Uh, little did we know at that time. But here's the irony of all of it. Realistically, Muhlenberg doesn't get in because of that game. Who knows what would have happened if you guys lose that game? I mean, it, it, there was, a, I think, slightly better chance because of the Ithaca result you guys had that you would have maybe gotten a full C mm-hmm. bid and uh, knocked somebody out of the, uh, that maybe union, for instance. But... You know, long story short, the margin for error, and you guys prove it in that game, is razor thin for Division Three in the playoffs. And, you know, for anybody out there that's saying, well, you know, you can lose a game easily and you'll still be in it, not always. But now having survived that regular season, and then you go into this WestCon game, let's take that game first here as we go through this. They were really not backing down in that game in that first half. We were watching it in our Bracket Blitz show, and you guys just seemed, I don't know, it didn't maybe not fully engaged in that game early. And then, obviously, you blow them away in the second half. But what was with the slow start, ultimately, uh, for you guys to kind of get those engines uh, revving the way that we would have expected in a Hopkins-Westcon type of game? Yeah, I mean... I, obviously, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Westcon. They're a great team, um, and they had some some serious playmakers. I think a lot of the slow start, uh, at least from a defensive perspective, is attributed to just you know we we had the ability to make some plays and we didn't quite make those plays, um, and so they were able to drive down the field, put some points on the board, and keep it close. Uh, and and we kind of got that figured out in the second half, and that's when we, we were able to pull away. Yeah, and then jumping ahead to the Union game, when I was kind of cracking the numbers here this week, um, it looks like you guys have done a, a good job generating turnovers, but it hasn't been, you know, by a, by a huge measure. But you, you force three interceptions 
against um, the Dutchman Chargers, whatever we're calling them um, this week. Uh, what was it? Was it? Do you think those turnovers were the result of sort of the defensive line pressure? Was it just the secondary making some heads-up plays? Was it a combination of, of both? Because you know, I think you guys have generated 17 um, you know turnovers for yourselves this this year. That's not a big number, you know, but you got plus three, which was certainly you know, beneficial in that big win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of co- it's a combination of everything. You know, scheme, play, calling. Coach Wadica did a great job um, getting us in the right positions, getting us ready to go. Um, and then just like I said, it's kind of the opposite of the WestCon games. We had we had a lot of guys just make plays, make big plays and big moments, and that's where you know those turnovers come. And so, I, I think it was one of our best defensive performances of the year. Okay. Let's let's do it. I, in fact, we're gonna we're gonna bring it in right now, uh, Luke. We're gonna look at your tail of the tape here versus Randolph Macon because this is a really interesting game on paper. Uh, and I made my predictions for D three football earlier. You'll hear what they are later in the show, obviously. But this slide has a lot to do with what, why I went the way I did. Uh, it, it's a very even set here, I would say, in certain aspects. Obviously, both twelve and zero, uh, both in the five hundred yard range of offense uh, per game. Uh, but I, I unfortunately had to ding you because you're giving up 100 more yards a game uh, just about than uh, Randolph Macon is. And uh, obviously two quality, quality quarterbacks, uh, more touchdowns for Bay Harvey, a uh, total of uh, 42 versus 25, a few more interceptions that he doesn't want us to talk about during his exam right now than to distract him from uh, passing that big test, I'm sure. But here's the whole thing, the turnover margin. I, and JB, I, I'm going to assume that you did a double and triple checking when you would put these numbers together, but plus two versus plus 17 this season, uh, and the uh, score margin goes Randolph-Macon's uh, way here. So, you guys host, in some categories, so you might be the underdog in this game based on some of these numbers uh, and everything else. You know, maybe the schedule is a little tougher for you guys, uh, is what some people would respond. I get that, but... I mean, you yep. look at this uh, Randolph-Macon team. Tell me what we're in for in this game coming up. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're a really solid team all around. A great O-line, great quarterback, um, you know, great receivers. Uh, in every aspect, they're a good team. Uh, they definitely want to establish the run, and so uh, I think we, we have some, some good things ready to, to hopefully stop their rushing attack a little bit um, and get them off the field quick and get them into the – to, you know, long third downs, make them have to drop back, which uh, isn't necessarily what they want to do. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. It will be a great challenge for us. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can come out on top. Yeah, is there a sort of a different way that as a defensive end that you prepare for a team that's coming in averaging 200 and almost 70 yards rushing? I mean, I know you've got probably like a, a, a two or three gap responsibility, but, you know, DEs are usually, you know, they're sacking quarterbacks, they're getting the tackles for loss, they're, you know, the, you know, the big celebrations after big plays. I mean, is, since it does seem like the Yellow Jackets want to pound the ball, you guys really do need to um, kind of stop them on first and second to set you, set you up for maybe some of those, you know, glory plays on third down. Yeah, I mean, I think not too much changes. It's just uh, doing my job as I as I always have to do. Uh, I, I think my mentality is a little bit different. Uh, just have to have to be really uh, stout in the run game, uh, which you know most teams are a little more pass heavy uh, than them. So uh, it's it's really just about being stout in the run game, being 
being able to play um, in some, you know, in some of those situations that I'm not usually in. Okay, Luke. In the first time I really uh, got to know you uh, out there, I, I look at you and I'm like, here's this guy that is, you know, defensive uh, player from hell, basically. Nobody wants to see on the field. And there's this kid with a baby face, basically, that's at Johns Hopkins, smart as hell, and everything else. And it's just like, it's such a weird combination of things. I mean, what's next, okay? Tell us first off, what are you going to do after this uh, season? I don't know if you have eligibility left for uh, the whole COVID thing we went through because not all schools post graduate versus senior differently. So take us through what's next for Luke Sherman, regardless of what happens uh, this season in the playoffs here. What's uh, your story going to be and how many billions are you, you going to make as a Hopkins grad? Um, yeah, I mean, so I do have an extra year of uh, eligibility left. Um, I'm kind of weighing my options with that and don't really really have a, a set plan yet uh, where exactly I want to take that. Um, in terms of beyond that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of looking looking to the next year. Uh, hopefully, you know, get a, get a good paying job in the future, though. Nate Milne just threw a glass out there, uh, you know, through uh, basically his mirror uh, because now he heard that you might be coming back. Uh, and Muhlenberg's just thrilled to hear it, I'm sure, just thrilled. JB, go ahead. Well, yeah, and, you know, that, that's got to be a tough decision. We've, we've talked to other Blue Jays players in the past, and, and they have had to weigh the decision of, you know, and some of them actually have taken the, the job over the extra year of eligibility and are doing pretty well from what I understand. So, um, you know, good luck in, in, in that respect. I guess for, um, you know, the folks tuning in for the game on Saturday at noon, what, um, you know, what can – what can the fans expect? What's like the what's going to be like the Homewood experience? I mean, I know that in the, in the, in some of the broadcasts, there's been you know some some audio. Sometimes Frank, do you need to get? Do we need to put him up in the booth? I mean, other than the bar, of course, which apparently is a big hit. But uh, other elements of what a Hopkins game day is like. Yeah, Homewood Field obviously has a lot of history between lacrosse and, and all the other sports that that have been played there more recently. Um, I think I think it's going to be a great game day atmosphere. I think Randolph Macon is going to travel really well uh, with them being close geographically, um, and I think we're going to have hopefully have a, a big uh, crowd on the home side. So great game day atmosphere, um, a lot of fans, a lot of cheering. Uh, as Frank knows, great tailgates before and after. So yeah, it, it'll be a great experience. Well, uh, remember, last time I attended a quarterfinal game at uh, Johns Hopkins was Johns Hopkins RPI. Uh, it was uh, the last time oh, yeah. that uh, I encountered Coach Margraff. Uh, I remember uh, Keith right. McMillan and Greg Thomas were with me, and we did the interviews uh, because of the weather uh, that day in uh, the lacrosse uh, building area there, or whatever, there at the, you know, the athletic center area uh, downstairs by all the lacrosse trophies, is I think where we were going with that. And uh, I just remember really appreciating, uh, you know, the common statements he made. I, I, I'm trying to do the math in my head here, Luke, to think about if you had any crossover with him in recruiting or what. Did you have any uh, crossover with Coach Margraff? No, I didn't. I never met him. No, it's, he was a fabulous, fabulous man. Coach Camara is somebody that is uh, that he, Coach Margraff would be 
entirely proud of uh, the way he's conducted himself as a head coach. Yeah, and uh, he would be extremely, extremely proud of you and everything that you've done in your experience there at Hopkins. You've been an incredible player uh, for a while here, and you deserve the accolades you're getting. We'll see where this goes. This is going to be a tough, tough game. I'm looking forward to it. See you uh, there. But before mm. we let you go, you get the opportunity here for shout-outs, any family, friends, teammates, etc. Luke Sherman, the floor is yours. Um, I'll shout out. I'll shout out my mom and dad. Uh, love them. Uh, you know, I'll see them tonight. So uh, excited to see them. And then uh, I'll shout out the D line: um, Isaac Arkady, Matthew Conkle, Zach Allegood, Andrew Goldberg. Uh, those are all my boys. Those are my family, um, and I love them all. So excited to just just keep this thing rolling and and hopefully get a win on Saturday. I remember correctly, Allegood had an yeah. interception versus WestCon that we uh, featured here uh, last week on Crunch yeah. Time. So uh, he he's a uh, player. All you, all you guys, it's I, I'm really impressed by what you guys did this season. I didn't see it coming. I, I predicted you guys would lose a game this season. Almost got to witness that happen uh, based on that back-and-forth affair at Muhlenberg. We'll never forget that game. That was Close. the game of the year. Yeah. Uh, Alma can say all they want, but in terms of just from start to finish, that was the game of the year. Uh, the Muhlenberg-Johns yeah. Hopkins game, as far as I'm concerned. Congratulations on success. Good luck uh, the rest of the road here, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, be in touch, I'm sure, at some point later to see what's next for Luke Sherman officially. Thanks, Luke. All right. Thank you. Luke Sherman right. joining well, us. Well, good news for you, Frank. Johns Hopkins. Uh, Today it looks like it's raining in Baltimore, uh, but tomorrow it's going to be cloudy and clear with a high of 61. So maybe not. It's funny. It's there's actually there's like a pocket of rain today, rain on Sunday, but Saturday we might be able to get away with a, a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice day football weather-wise. Although if Drew Capanelli is throwing the ball, um, he might have to throw the ball more than he's used to because I'm not sure if, if Hopkins is going to let them. I mean. They're, they're definitely going to challenge the run, and that's, that's, I think, the only way that they can beat this um, Yellow Jackets team is really try to shut that run down and, and force Campanelli to, to go over the top. But he's a really talented quarterback, too. I, when I did the tail of the tape, I couldn't believe he only had 24 passing touchdowns. They, you know, he's, he's definitely right up there as far as some of the best QBs that we've seen in a while. And I, I guess it's just one of those situations where he just hasn't had to throw the ball that much because they're mauling over everybody, um, you know, with Nick Hale in the, in the run game. So I'm really curious to see how this shakes out. Either result would not surprise me. A Hopkins win is certainly plausible, but so is a Randolph-Macon one. I think it's going to be better games of the weekend. Let's uh, take a look at the left side of the bracket now and uh, the scores that we ran through in crunch time in a little more detail with you yep. now and your uh, takeaways from uh, that side of the bracket as we prepare for our next guest, who I believe is uh, in the queue. So we'll begin to get ready for that. Okay. Yeah, well, the <laughs> from the 30,000-foot view, I guess I've sort of put my foot in my mouth because I went on the um, my team media show saying that I thought the right side of the bracket would have the most competitive games, and the reality was it, it was um, – kind of the, the left side for at least for a while. We thought Aurora might knock off lacrosse. Um, you know, I had some hope that the Trinity North Central game would be good when it was 14-14, but obviously that didn't pan out. Um, Wheaton and, and Whitewater were trading back and forth. And the Thunder was such an interesting team this year, Frank, because I really did feel like the CCIW was a little bit down in general. Um, but, man, Wheaton brought it. And so that makes me wonder, is it – 
You know, are they just, do they sort of play to the level of their competition? Is this Whitewater team maybe more susceptible than, than I thought? Um, but, you know, Thorson had a fantastic game, um, five passing touchdowns. I mean, it was just a back-and-forth affair and, and really exciting. But Wartburg, to me, Frank, is actually, like you said, during crunch time, they're starting to show me that they might – they might be stronger than what we thought last year. Um, we were kind of questioning because we saw a lot of close scores uh, between them and some of the ARC teams. We thought, well, maybe the um, the offense was taking a step back and the, and the defense was, you know, we weren't really sure what was going on there. Um, but that was a pretty convincing win against a good Whitworth team that knocked off a top, you know, 10 Linfield squad. And um, I know we can get into it later, but I know Coach Spencer had some, you know, was saying that they were one of the teams that probably should have been in the tournament. Maybe someday, if we have 40 teams in the D3 uh, championship, that that'll that'll come to pass. But you know, when you look at the when you look at the tail of the tape with Wartburg, Frank, they have um, the best rushing defense of any team in in the in the this Elite Eight. They are only allowing 35.3 rushing yards per game. Now they they are allowing you know a lot of pass yards on one hand I mean but still 209 is is pretty low by comparison when you look at across the board but 35 I mean basically teams can't run on these guys and then you have a quarterback like McLaughlin who can run and throw the ball um, you know he he's gotten himself into a couple of situations where he's you know he's had to throw maybe a few more interceptions than he'd like but overall his defense has been locked down and. Um, even though I, I, I may have um, actually tabbed his brother on the uh, Gallardi uh, semifinalist thing, which uh, we can kind of maybe joke around. I mean, they kind of look a little bit alike, but, you know, the, uh, the older Grover is actually... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's the more handsome of the two, right? We'll, we'll, well, we'll have to get his on. opinion let me, on that. Let me ask our friends at Wartburg to turn the camera on so we're ready to go here uh, because uh, we can't see him. Oh, yeah. There he is. I, okay, so... Hold on here. Uh, Owen Grover, uh, we're bringing you in here. I'm going to get your uh, microphone on. But before we do anything else, and I, I, I'm going to assume you may have caught oh, wind of what, what happened with the whole thing, uh, where JB uh, was like, hey, JB, here's the Gillardi uh, semifinalists. Uh, we got to get these ready to you know, post a great photo of everybody and everything. And then this happens, essentially. <laughs> you know, okay, today you are looking a little bit like your brother. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, it, it's pretty close here, what's going on. But clearly, uh, you're slightly heavier than he is. He's a defensive back. You are not. Uh, you are a linebacker. And uh, so, Owen, we apologize for that. Uh, congratulations on being a semifinalist. So, nonetheless, right. thanks for joining us. How you been uh, since we saw you last? Yeah. Absolutely, doing well. It's been a it's been an awesome season. Been a blast. Um, but yeah, I think I got about forty pounds on him. But we do look a lot alike. We get that a lot. <laughs> oh, God bless your mom for uh, having to deal with both of you boys. Uh, yeah. How many? Uh, it's a lot of food. I was food. just gonna say, yeah. Woof. Gosh. Anyway, let's talk about uh, football this season. Yeah, you know, coming into the season, people had some very, very, very high aspirations and hopes for you guys based on the whole, you know, uh, what, semifinal situation. You guys were uh, razor-thin uh, margin away from uh, taking down uh, Mount Union last year. Uh, Alma ends up doing it this year. It's kind of uh, amazing to me, you know, how this whole thing plays out. But you guys come mm. into this season, and I, I've said it on the show, and I'm not trying to be mean or, you know, cruel about this whole thing, but... It didn't seem to me you guys were playing up to necessarily your caliber offensively, but defensively you seemed to be steady uh, compared to last year. 
and then it seems like both the offense and the defense have really begun to improve throughout each week that I've been watching you guys. And we've shown plenty of clips here on our Crunch Time segments. Tell me about the season progression coming from last year where you kind of were lights out and people were like, where did they come from to the expectations now and how the season played out? Yeah, I think it was definitely different having those, um, you know, last year kind of being the underdog of the end of the season. And then this year, you know, having those expectations, um, but we like it and we were like, you know, we want everyone's best shot. And and in the off season, that definitely motivated us a lot too to, you know, be like, we were this close, um, but we didn't end up where we want to want to end up. So we got to do something different. We got to do something to get better. And then kind of progressing throughout this season, um, you know, not just, I mean, offensively and defensively, we needed to, you know, started off the year um, not on a great foot defensively either. Um, things that we needed to do to get better. And, um, you know, I think our, our offense has done a great job of that, of, of finding the things that click. Um, and, and I think that was the same thing, though, in, in last year's season two, where we had some progression that really needed to be made and we clicked at the right time. And we're kind of seeing that again this year where our offense is definitely, man, defensively playing our best ball right now. Where would you say, Owen, you know, I, I was trying to pull up the, uh, you know, the, the Wartburg schedule here. And, and, I'm, and I think, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you guys had a real uh, close call against, I think it was, it was Coe in about week um, you know, five or six, something like that. Yeah, it was a 27 to 21 win over Coe. Then you guys kind of, you know, coasted the rest of the way. Although the central game in late October was was also, you know, a 10 point, uh, maybe not, you know, a, a blowout kind of a situation. Where would you say were was it those games against sort of like your number one and two contenders that where you felt that season sort of clicked and you know where everything was kind of coming together, or are you guys just kind of still building towards that, like, we're, you know, we're not quite there yet, and, and we feel like we're peaking at the right time. Yeah, I definitely think there was a continuous build, um, and that's kind of the, the what we focus on of day by day and week by week and, and making sure that we're using each game um, to get better, to make sure that we're at the right spot at the end of the year. Um, but one thing that really stands out to me is in that, that second half of that co-game, so we went into halftime trailing in that game, um, but then we went into the locker room and, and you know, we're like, we're going to get this done. You know, we have complete trust in our offense to do what they need to do. And our defense is, is going to make a stand when we need to. We did that and, and we battled together. And, and then from there on out, um, you know, you could see the confidence really rise in, in what we were doing offensively and, and our defense knowing that we can get the job done as well. So I think like from that point on, just the stepping stones that we made um, are, are what I noticed the most. So uh, we'll do the same thing we did with uh, Luke Sherman just a bit ago. Let's look at the tail of the tape for this week's uh, playoff game coming up. Uh, as uh, You've had what I would call a fairly easy run, uh, not because the teams were easy, but you guys just seemed to get your uh, act together early and often in the games that you played so far in the playoffs. Whitworth tried early, but it, it didn't work for them. But uh, let's look at this Whitewater game because you clearly know what you're getting yourselves into here. This is not an easy team. Alec Ogden, back from injury, has been just impeccable out there as quarterback. But uh, offensively, it's uh, within 11 yards uh, what uh, the teams are uh, averaging, it looks like. Uh, Defensively, you have about a 60-yard advantage in terms of uh, not allowing 60 of the same yards that Whitewater's allowing. Alec Ogden, uh, his number's a little bit skewed because of the injury situation. Nile. Obviously, with 35 total touchdowns, eight interceptions, Alec with 32 and four. Um, 
turnover margin, it's a tie basically, plus nine, plus eight. And uh, the difference really is uh, point differential. Uh, you are averaging 33.2 points per game uh, ahead of uh, your opponents, whereas Whitewater's 19.6. I mean, on paper, this game seems really even, ultimately. That Alec Ogden factor, though, is, I think, a game changer in terms of what their momentum has been like since he's been back in the lineup. Uh, how do you account for a guy like that out there? How good is he from what you're seeing on tape? Yeah, he, he's definitely super impressive. And, you know, he can do great things starting the ball, but also what he, he can do on the ground um, and his athleticism is what makes him super, super dangerous. Um, and I think the thing that, like, really stands out to me when looking at tail of the tapes is, is their, you know, ability to run the ball offensively um, and then our defense's ability to stop the run. And, and that's something where, you know, something's got to give. One of those one of those things has to change. Um, and that's something that we've really put a lot of our, our focus in and, and something that we really focus on doing well is stopping the run up front. Um, and, you know, our, our front seven and our, our D line is going to have to do a, do a great job of establishing that early and often. Yeah, you kind of beat me to the punch, Owen, because I was the thing that jumped out to me when I put that together was the, the 265 average rushing yards for the uh, for the Warhawks. I mean, that's like the third best out of all the final eight teams. I mean, and it's literally like one or two yards away from Randolph Macon's total. Um, so you know, you basically, can say it's you know tied for second best. But you guys, obviously. You know, not really allowing teams to run on you, um, keeping the score to only basically allowing a field goal and a touchdown every game. I mean, with if things go your way and you're able to kind of bottle up, you know, to, you know, Thomas has, has been the has the has the Knights defense been able to you know take is it is it the sort of the takeaway situation where you're trying to force them into like passing the ball, maybe get some interceptions or just put them in long, you know, third down situations or it's harder to convert. Has that really been sort of your guys forte? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What we, what we try to do is get teams off schedule. Um, so win first down is something we, we talk about a lot. Um, and then after that, our, our D line does an incredible job of, of making quarterbacks uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's not always about getting sacks, but getting pressure in his face um, and making that guy uncomfortable when he's throwing the ball. And then, after that, we have some incredible playmakers on the back end that can go up and get balls, um, you know, and when quarterbacks aren't comfortable and, and not in the rhythm that they want to be in, um, then we have guys on the back end that have the you know outstanding ability to make plays there as well. So that's kind of kind of what we tried to do. I kind of wonder, JB, if there are uh, going to be uh, lacrosse or North Central fans uh, this weekend uh, as uh, their game uh, goes on simultaneous with that game. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to make them go on the record with that. Uh, but uh, JB's got one more for yeah, you, I right. know. So uh, let him go uh, two straight here. Yeah, and Frank alluded to it at the top, you know, and I was I was trying to think of the right way to pull it together, but it just so sort of took my brain and maybe a you know a couple of cups of coffee to finally get going here. But um, you know, what what did you guys take away from the Mount Union game? Because that was a situation where you're you're kind of going up against like. You know the name brand, the 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 class of Division Three, the the you know multinational championship winning kind of program. You've got another one of those kind of programs coming in to play you guys. It's nice that it's a home game, I'm sure. But does the fact that you basically were you know three minutes away from knocking off the Raiders tell you like, hey, you know what, we can do this to the Warhawks too. We're just as good as those guys, right? Yeah, I definitely think that was a huge stepping stone for our program as a whole. Um, and, you know, like we we showed, you know, not just everyone else, but ourselves that 
that we we belong in this picture and we can play with these teams um, and we can do it consistently is, is what we're trying to establish now um, and that we we continuously belong in these types of games um, but it also showed us that you know we aren't where we want to be yet you know our our end goal is is to compete for a national championship um, so there were things that we needed to do different as development that we need to make. You know, we couldn't be complacent with the things that we did last year and, and be like, you know, we were we were good enough to make the semifinals. Um, you know, we can try to do the same thing. Um, but, you know, we had to, you know, attack it with a with a different outlook and, and realize that, you know, we needed to make changes in advance to be able to compete down the road like we want to do. Well, it's interesting, though, because, I mean, Region 5 is kind of frowned upon uh, out there uh, in terms of the, the composition of it. And yet, the defending national champion is in Region 5. This team that's trying to get to a second straight semifinal uh, is in Region 5 in Wartburg here. And so it's really interesting watching how the balance of power in, you know, Division Three National College football is turning out and that Wartburg is coming in here two straight years with a real possibility to go to be a Final Four team, essentially, in this whole thing. It's not a head-scratcher so much as, it, as it's, a, I think, proof of there's a changing nature of Division Three college football going on, and you guys are a part of it. You're showing us that any given Saturday, any given team can start to march up that whole, you know, stairway toward greatness uh, in this thing. And I'm sure fifth years have been a, a big part of it, much like you are a fifth year uh, from uh, what it says on the roster. So let me ask you, what's next for you after football is done? Uh, we may have asked you this question last time we had you on the show uh, without knowledge uh, necessarily of uh, what was definitively next. But now that this, I believe, is done for you, what's next for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, once I finish up taking football snaps here, um, I'm going to be going to the University of Iowa Medical School. So become a physician someday is my goal that's awesome that's uh, awesome best of luck wow. uh, with that Thank that's, you guys. that's incredible it. stuff right there yep uh jb uh you know what's next go ahead yeah well um it's it's been great to catch up with you owen you know, it was fun getting to know you last year and, and we've been fans you know ever since once again my bad on the uh on swapping your brother out for the uh Gallardi thing that was that was an honest mistake i just but uh, and I, and, I, and it was funny that some fans and I think some 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 Wartburg Knights and people had a, had a good chuckle about it. But we um, we just want to give you another, for the second time a, a chance for shout outs to any friends, family, teammates, and, and wish you good luck this weekend against the Warhawks. Yeah, I guess um, I mean there's so many shout outs I could give. You know, my my family, my parents, my brothers, uh, my fiance, all these people that have been so supportive of me over you know the last few years with Wartburg and allowed me to do the thing I love for so long um, but also our, our coaching staff and you know these guys I was so the other day I was actually watching so I played against Whitewater in 2019 when I was a freshman um, and I just threw on that film to watch a little bit and just like watching my development from that time to now like it was almost hard for me to watch myself as a freshman because I'm like man holy crap You're like what am I doing out there and then you know, you know, seeing the development that I've had from our coaches and then just my teammates. Um, you know, I love these guys and they're they're what make it all worth it and, and the reason that I come out here. So, you know, thank you to all those people. It's been a blast. That's, uh, you know, kind of funny to think about, but the fact that you were getting enough playing time too back then uh, is a testament to just how good of a player you are, even if you were maybe a little lankier back then or a little bit uh, less skilled uh, at that point in time. Uh, I did note, and I, I'm going to have to call you out the same way I did with Luke Lanin, uh last week. Uh, fiance, uh, so uh, what's the story? When's the uh, wedding? Yeah, yeah congrats. Getting, uh, married, 
Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Getting married this coming July. And um, yep. It's going to be a party out in Wartburg uh, somewhere, I think, going yeah. on uh, for that one. What's what's her first yeah. name? So say hi. Bailey. Yep. Bailey. She's awesome. Bailey. Bailey. You, got a, right. you got a good guy uh, there, uh, Bailey, uh, for sure. I'm sure, as I always say, Owen will say That's that right. he's got a good lady in Bailey. So congratulations Absolutely. on many different fronts here, Owen. And, uh, you know, we'll see where this goes. Maybe I will see you in Salem, Virginia uh, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, this is going to be an interesting ride. Obviously, you have some tough tasks left in your side of the bracket. So we'll see where it goes. Best of luck. Yep. yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Owen Grover Thank joining you. us here from Wartburg. Yeah. Ah, Thanks to uh, Katie uh, Joe, the uh, sports information yeah. director at Wartburg, for helping us uh, pull that together for the second year in a row. I, yeah, man, this, this Wartburg team, man, it's interesting. You know, I, I know we're getting close to picks, and, and I'm like, after talking to those two guys, I'm, I'm beginning to really, I'm sort of waffling here a little bit, Frank. I don't know what to do. Well, hold on, because we have to look at a couple more things here before we do anything. Um, uh, fill yeah. the tape for the two games we have not hit yet without guests uh, joining us today. Uh, North Central Lacrosse. Uh, it seems to be the most lopsided of the uh, games right now on paper, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it plays out that way. Obviously, lacrosse with the uh, loss to Harden-Simmons, uh, but 585 to 469 yep. in offensive yardage, and uh, you look at the uh, balance, it's more pass for lacrosse, more rush for North Central, which may surprise some people in some mm -hmm. ways, but, uh, you know, Heltebrand can do both, so don't, don't count them out, uh, you know, passing or rushing the ball in any given play. Uh, lacrosse giving up another 100 yards, basically, uh, defensively. Luke Lanin, 57 touchdowns total, if my math is correct, with one interception this season. <laughs> Held to brand, 44 Since, touchdowns with seven interceptions. Yeah. The giveaway-takeaway scenario uh, is a plus 23 versus a plus 8. The point differential is the largest yeah. in our history of doing this, I believe. Plus 50.1 yeah. for North Central. Uh, I, they, they were below average last week, believe it or not, by just a touchdown. And uh, mm -hmm. lacrosse is plus 18.5. Quick thoughts on that game before we go to last tail of tape. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, when you think of this um, North Central offensive line, it's, I mean, it's just insane that they're cranking out almost 600 yards of offense. They're rushing almost 340 yards a game. Their quarterback has almost 50 touchdowns, well, has more than 50 touchdowns, right? I mean, it's just that, you know, everyone, if you want to know what the secret recipe to North Central, you know, being so dominant, that's it right there. Um, if you get a, if you get a line. Now, I will say, um, you know, in watching the, the, the game against Trinity, that they, they got away with, with a few holding penalties that weren't called. Uh, let's just face it. I mean, but then again, you know, the, the famous saying in football is that there's holding on every single play. So, I mean, you know, it's it's neither here nor there. They are they are that much faster and dominant than pretty much almost any defensive line that they'll face. The um, the Eagles are uh, in for a potentially long day unless they can figure out somehow to to slow this old line down. Um, you know that that that's the bottom line. You need Skeeter Jenkins out there to call holding from the sideline on his microphone. Holding, uh, basically. <laughs> holding, holding. <laughs> that was great. Oh, Skeeter. Yeah, it's one of our best classic yeah. moments ever on this show. Okay, uh, let's go to the uh, last game here uh, on the upper right side of the bracket. This is this uh, actually, your tail of the tape changed my uh, decision on who I was going to pick in this game. You probably know now where I'm going with it ultimately, but here's, here we go. 
Uh, mm. Offensively, Cortland uh, and Alma look a little tied. Uh, 25 yards more to Cortland. Yep. Defensively, Balanced. Alma gives up more yardage. 64. Carter St. Mm -hmm. John, 44 touchdowns, four interceptions. Zach Boys, 39 touchdowns, five interceptions. The turnover margin is the largest for any of the eight remaining teams, Alma-wise. Yep. 27, plus 27 versus plus 11. And they have a slight edge in point differential, uh, plus 18, or I'm sorry, uh, plus 30.5, excuse me, and a plus 28.7 for Cortland. But that turnover margin for Alma really surprised me there. And we've used that stat quite a bit over the years when we do tail the tape to tell us a little bit of the story of the season for teams. That tells you a lot of the story yeah. of the season for that team, I think. Well, yeah, especially when you look at the fact that, you know, they're, they're giving up almost 350 yards on defense. So it's not like they're, you know, they're, they're holding teams to under 17 points a game. But this is kind of a bend, don't break. And, and I, I'd have to do a quick scan, but I think that 340, whatever it is, is, is the, the largest amount of average yards. Well, I guess lacrosse is giving up 324 uh, and a half. But when you think of, all, when you think of the quarterbacks and, the, and some of the teams that they have to play in, in the WIAC, that might – that might contribute to that, but still, um, you know, it's just it, getting getting turnovers is a huge key in, in playoff games. And you know, Zach Boys is super talented, but he he also can be a little bit like Brett Favre, where he you know he'll throw the ball into you know situations that you know he's trying to make plays, and I and I don't um, I don't criticize him for doing that. But you know, every once in a while, like against Grove City, we saw the Trevor Beck pickoff. I mean, that was a, a situation where he probably should have hung on to that one and, and didn't and, and let it fly anyway. Those are going to be the, the kinds of plays that could turn that um, Alma game uh, for Cortland. We'll see. Uh, these were my, uh, yeah, speaking of Zach Boys, I gave him my offensive MVP award this week because of the, the work that he did to get his team a really hard-fought win, particularly when you think about the, um, you know, going for two there with only, what, 83 or nine, like less than 90 yeah, seconds left in the game. He, yep. And he and he gets a you know he he finds his man in the end zone a close call there, I mean you know it was he was a big reason why uh, they were able to pull that game off a, a team with a quarterback that doesn't have some of the physical skills um, that Boyce has maybe you know would have lost that game so um, he's a big reason why Cortland is where they are but they're a pretty complete team you look at the tail of the tape very balanced uh, attack a very balanced defense they're they're creating some turnovers themselves about one or so a game, and so uh, Zach Boyce was my offensive MVP because of that one-point win for his team in the playoffs. Um, Michael Stack from UWL uh, hit eight uh, PATs. He was perfect on, on, on that, um, which ended up being technically the, enough for the margin of victory, but you know, he, he added things in other ways. Like he, I think he averaged over or close to 60 yards per kickoff. So, you know, put his defense in a, in a good you know, position from a field um, you know, position perspective. So, uh, you know, he's been a steady kicker. He was the guy that nailed that 50 plus yarder that beat Whitewater back in the day. And I gave him an MVP for that. So when, when it comes down to this level of competition, he might be the difference between a win or a loss. And he was perfect in the last game. He might have to be perfect again um, this Saturday. Saturday. We'll see. And then Odin Sofferdine is, I think, how you'll say this guy's name. 
He's a um, fifth-year linebacker for Alma, and he had 20 tackles in, in the win over Mountain Union. This guy was everywhere. He wears number zero, but he is, he is not a zero by any stretch. He was the number one tackler um, in the playoffs last weekend. He was all over the field, and he's a big reason why the Scots were able to win that game against Mountain Union, at least from a defensive side. Okay, I did want to forget uh, to do uh, MVPs. Also, don't want to forget before we go to predictions, uh, we want to talk a couple minutes here about what uh, the news was out of the MASCAC uh, this week, which was uh, pretty unsettling, yeah. I have to be honest with you. An unsettling uh, week yeah. uh, in my area here. Well, we, we lose College of St. Rose uh, in Division Two locally, and it's a good reminder that private schools really? don't have safety nets. Yep, College of St. Rose is shutting down mm -hmm. uh, at the end of this year, and that was the yesterday's news here. It's been a but long again, run for they, them. Yep, and they made an appeal to the state, the city, and the county they're in in Albany, uh, and uh, no, nothing doing because they have no right to public money when it gets down to it, and so they voted to shut down and again it's a reminder to private division three schools these smaller schools that may have financial issues that there is no major safety net available to them out there uh, and that's a little scary so we wish our best to students that are affected in those situations but it also reminds you that Birmingham Southern uh, having a little bit of ability to get some state help it looks like or at least local help uh, is lucky uh, to still be around and we'll see if they do continue they're trying uh their darndest down there but the mascac four schools all associate members uh it's umd uh U umass dartmouth uh western connecticut uh castleton and plymouth state are being shown the door uh and uh i i gotta be honest that th that is unsettling in and of itself. When they started taking all those teams mm. on, when they uh, put Castleton in and Anna Maria and Dean, and we asked the question, hey, how are you going to schedule this now? Hey, you know, this is, you know, are you going to do divisions or whatever? And they didn't seem to have great answers for it. Something that you would think that you plan for ahead of time before you take on all these additional teams. And then you kind of sit there and you watch what happens this week and you say to yourself, was this planned? Was this the plan all along to show teams the exit and basically they wanted to fortify their numbers before they showed them the door? And from what I understand, at least source-wise, there was some talk of even showing them, or at least a couple of them, the door after this season, which really would be cruel under the circumstances. But they ended up taking the four associate members and saying goodbye. Uh, we'll see you one more year next year which is Castleton's first year in the MASCAC and their final year in the MASCAC in football, making absolutely no sense. And yeah. you begin to wonder, what was this? And I, for me, I got to say, this is a Division Three conference in New England that needs to worry more about the effects on the kids that the and students, men, the women in all the sports, ultimately, that these moves have than worrying about their longevity as a conference. Because at, at the end of the day, it's the players, the student athletes that need to matter first. And this move doesn't seem to have student athlete interest written all over it in the first and foremost category of why you would do something like this. This seems disingenuous. This seems really irritating to me because of what is at play 
you know, will we see a new conference form as a result in football, the uh, Little East Football Conference? I don't know. Uh, I, I, here's, here's what I tell Anna Maria, though. Anna Maria, you should be looking at your contract with the MASCAC, if there is one, and saying this is a material adverse change. Call up your friends at Norwich, who I think have some you know, thoughts about whether or not they want to stay in the new Mac and everything else that they've got going on in sports. And get you, yourself in Norwich into the Little East and have a new conference, the Little East Conference, and that six teams and all core members at that point, that would be, and you could have your pool A bid. situation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but, you know, listen, people are going to say, Frank, you're basically telling them to go steal back a new uh, AQ. And my response to you would be, hey, guys, it was never the MASCAC's intent, it feels like. From what I'm hearing and seeing, it just doesn't feel like it was ever their intent to really have a 12-team or 13-team conference in football. This just feels like yeah. this was somehow a plan uh, behind the scenes. I don't know, but I, I, th- th- something went very, very wrong in terms of the way things are supposed to work here and what they did as far as I'm concerned. So Anna Maria, you're kind of the key to the whole thing here. And I think you can exit probably, again, if you have a contract, read it and then make your decisions. Because do you really want to be in a conference <laughs> with the Massachusetts State Schools? Do you really belong in that grouping? I've been to your campus. I don't think that's a, a true fit for Anna Maria, but that's going to be up to them ultimately to make that decision. What was your thought this week with the MASCAC move? You know, um, every we, we have this thing every year where, you know, that we, we do this podcast to, to highlight the student athletes, right? That's always been our number one focus or has been the, and, you know, I'm getting, I, I'm, I'm up there so I can say the kids, right. Um, is most of these are, are the same age as, as some of my children at this point. And it just surprised, it never fails to amaze me year after year, how the adults, whether it's the NCAA, whether it's these conferences, they, they make these decisions that are based off of like these random, sometimes almost petty seeming little, um, you know, like land grabs that ultimately have adverse impact on the kids and and their student athlete experience. It just doesn't. I don't get it. I don't know why this seems to be a common theme, but it is, and it's frustrating. You know, to your point, I think you got to put the the interests of these um, student athletes or only have this really finite. You know, four maybe four and a half year if they're taking that extra year of eligibility you know, window to do this stuff and try to make it as best of a situation for them as possible. These, you know, kind of behind the, you know, in, in the, in the back alley and kicking teams out and doing this. And it's just, it's, it's not what this level should be about. Um, so I, I don't know, man, it's just disappointing. It is indeed. Uh, so we'll uh, keep you posted on that story uh, to the schools uh, that got kicked out. I, I feel like you were wronged in this one, just the way uh, it happens. Yeah. And you know, we reached out to the MASCAC for comment, and besides saying that indeed the four teams will not be part of the conference in 2025, they had no other uh, comment officially on the record. So uh, that, that's all I'm going to be able to say with respect to their response, uh, with, respond, with respect to the teams that are kind of floating out there. I don't know where it goes for them. Uh, we hope that it works out okay. Again, for the student athletes' sakes, th- that it goes okay and that they get their opportunities yeah. at access in the playoffs and everything else. 
Uh, you got some Twitter activity. You told me Region Five discussion. Yes, I don't know if you if you've seen that, but uh, yeah, we got uh, we got some comments from uh, Stephen Lindmark who. Uh, had a couple of things here. He said, Frank, the Region 6 format started in 21, but if you look at 2019 to present, Region 5 has dominated in the tourney. Region 5 is 7-3, and 4-3, and 8-2, 4-2 versus the field, teams outside their own region. Region 6 is 3-4, and 4-4, 1-4, 2-1. One. Region 2 is 4-2, and 4-3, 3-5, and 4-2. And then he adds, obviously, NCC has helped Region 5 with three straight stag bowls. Region 2 is aided by many matchups against inferior Region 1 teams. But Region 5 is dominating Region 6 over that span. Let's see if they hold serve this weekend. Thanks to you and JB for all that you do. Interesting yeah, kind well, of a, and 0, a counter. Yeah, well, 5-0 and 0 always helps uh, from one team every year. I don't know how they're counting the Carnegie <laughs> yeah. Mellon situation uh, when uh, Carnegie Mellon had the COVID situation a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. So, true. you know, it's it, it, my point, though, was... Most people assume Region 5 isn't the strong region, and yet all this stuff is coming from Region 5. Wartburg uh, for two straight years, yeah. it seems like. NCC, Wheaton to a certain degree. Wheaton. So, yeah. you, yeah, you have some top-level teams in there that are carrying this conference's reputation, I think, up, way up. And it happens in four also, because Mount Union's existence in four, and uh, yeah. you know John Carroll... Uh, in there and stuff so mm -hmm. i get it I, and my point wasn't to say region five is a horrible playoff performer in fact it was the opposite it was to say they are dispelling the myth with their playoff performances out there so uh thanks for the feedback though yep. it's good to hear the stats ultimately uh any, anything else that uh, mm -hmm. we are uh, getting uh crushed on in twitter uh, today no, I think uh, that was it for now. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll we'll light some other fires um, at some point. But yeah, we're we're running out of we're running out of time here. It's uh, we've got only what three more weekends of, of football. We got four games this weekend. We'll have two games after that, and then one game on December fifteenth. So yeah, getting down the wire here. Look at this, 126, 125. It's like neck and neck down the stretch here. We'll see. Yep, I had a more comfortable lead last year. That was that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> I'll give you a walk over next Making time. Making me sweat this one out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, easy. so again, we're not going lightning. We're going to give you some in-depth uh, perspective on the games going from the upper left, uh, lower right, upper right, lower left, uh, lower right. Uh, so here we go. First off, uh, it's going to be North Central at Lacrosse. Uh, you start this week. Well, let's see. Going to my little, little trusty tail of the tape thing here. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the when you look at this, the offensive numbers and even the defensive numbers here. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, obviously, lacrosse has done a good job containing the run with 105, you know, yards per game. But you just have to think that North Central is is going to you know get off to a fast start, and that'll for. I mean. The one, the one X factor that the Eagles have going for them is Helterbrand can move the ball as well, if not better. He's kind of like Lennon in many ways. He's, he might, and he might actually be a better runner than he is, a, than he is a passer. Um, even though obviously Luke Lennon's completion percentage and ratings and all that are, are you know, top notch, probably the best in, in D3. Um, but from a pure speed and athleticism perspective, these quarterbacks are very similar. And so that might buy them some time, but I just feel like it's, you know, like I said before, the 
Cardinals offensive line is just too dominant. Um, the defense is creating a ton of turnovers and they're cashing in on them. I mean, that's ultimately what, you know, the Tigers never had a chance when they fumbled right off the bat and, and it was 14 nothing like that. And we could see that this weekend too. We'll have to wait and see. I think it might be a little bit closer because of Heltebrand's ability to make things happen. But I still feel like um, North Central is going to win this game. Let's say like... Uh, 65 to 35. Oof. Uh, I'll read you my quick hit because uh, I might as well just stay consistent with what I uh, write for there uh, this week in D3 football. And I say, after watching the Trinity North Central game in person last weekend, it became clear to me that North Central is in a class of their own this season. That's no slight to UWL, who very much succeeded my expectations this season, but I can't yeah. see lacrosse winning this game unless... North Central makes several unforced errors, which I don't anticipate here. I'm going to give North Central a, a lower uh, score total, 40 to 20 over Lacrosse. So there's that one. Uh, let's see here if I can. Uh, a ten point difference to... between us. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, Wartburg bracket. It's Whitewater at Wartburg, and I will start this one, and I will tell you my quick hit reads the following. Uh, I say 17 to 10 Wartburg over uh, Whitewater. So I'm picking uh, Wartburg here. Whoa. Low scoring. And, uh, hmm. I, well, low scoring, you say, is the first line of my uh, uh, quick hit coming up here. Well, uh, Whitewater no has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> low scoring, you okay. say. Well, Whitewater has held opponents to less than 20 points this season, while Wartburg has held opponents to just over 10. Wartburg's offense has to get a rhythm early in this game to control time, possession, and the tone of the game. Otherwise, his prediction might be very wrong. Yet, Wartburg has been getting better and better each week. I'll put up a tail of tape while you tell folks your thoughts on this game. Well, and uh, you know, as you said before, I mean, when you look at the numbers, you know, the offense is basically a wash. I mean, clearly, Wartburg has a better defense. Um, from a statistical perspective, but then you also have to kind of weigh in the fact that you know, when you go through the, the meat grinder, that's the Y act, that that could be, you know, a big reason why um, the Warhawks are giving up over 300 yards a game. You just can't help it when there's guys like Kobe Berghammer and, um, you know, uh, Helta Brand and others that you have to play against wow. week in and week out. Um, Blaha, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you can see that also in the bottom left with the, you know, they're only winning games by, you know, less than three, well, three touchdowns, I guess, technically, if you, you know, six times three, but still they're, yeah, and so they're used to playing closer games. Um, you know, Wartburg's had only a few uh, competitive matchups this year. And the, the number, though, that really jumped out to me, Frank, was the, is in the top left, 60 playoff wins and 72 tries. And so I feel like this, it's one of those situations, and we've seen this before in the past, where these um, tried and true programs that have just been there and done it, um, you know, when, it, when push comes to shove and, the, and it's down to the final couple of plays, they're just able to keep their cool because they've been there so many times and they, they just know what they have to do. They're expected to execute. They don't get rattled. And I, I wonder if, you know, with Wartburg's inexperience, they, they, they probably should have won the game against 
Mount Union last year. They kind of let them score a little too soon. Gave let let them or they the Knights score too soon. They they left too much time on the clock for Mount Union to come back and win it. Um, and so you know it's funny when you when when you said oh let's schedule somebody from um, from Wartburg and from Johns Hopkins. I was like oh great. I think I'm going to probably pick against those guys. <laughs> and my original when I filled out my bracket, I had Wartburg um, losing to to Whitewater in this game. But after talking to Owen, looking at the tail of the tape, I'm torn. And I think, I think it could be a lower scoring, um, closer game. But that, I think maybe that playoff experience and, um, you know, the, the gauntlet that, that the Warhawks have run through will, will carry the day. Um, and so I guess to, to maybe, since you picked Wartburg and I need to try to stay, a, you know, a jump ahead here, I'll go with Whitewater, which was my original pick. And um, let's see, based on the scores... It's on. Oof. It's on. Here we go. Uh, we do have a differential here. 24 to 14. 24 14 in favor of Whitewater. I said 17 to 10. So both of us saying pretty low scoring games. Uh, mine a little lower, but still overall low. Yep. Uh, next one is a tough one. And uh, I'll put a tail tape for you here as Cortland will be traveling to Alma. And. Um, you know, again, that plus 27 is what jumps out. What do you say here? Yeah, and and so this is interesting because typically in the grand scheme of things, you would think that an Empire 8 champion would be picked over a Michigan, you know, champion. But um, especially, I mean, look at the difference in, in playoff wins and experience. I mean, Cortland has, you know, Obviously, had I mean a lot of I know a lot of those wins were from you know years gone by, um, but you know from the offensive perspective and even defensive, you know they're they're pretty close, um, particularly when you looked at the at the kind of the, the rush yards allowed. Um, St. John and, and Boys are very similar quarterbacks um, in many respects, and that turnover margin definitely jumps out to me, Frank, and and it makes me a little nervous that um, that Boys could be rushed into uh, making some some plays I when I listened to the Carter St. John interview on around the nation with with Pat Coleman um, Carter talked about how it's windy um, up in Michigan and so you know will there be some balls that sail on some of the Cortland receivers but I also I think um, during one of our breaks I did pull up the uh, the D3 quick hits and it looks like everybody is picking Alma and the and so there's kind of a part of me that's, you know, as an East guy, like I'm offended. I'm like, come on, Dragons. Like, let's, you know, why can't, why can't somebody from Region 2 make it to the Final Four? It's been a while. And, and you know, the frustrating thing is that the Region 2 or East Region teams that get to this point typically lose for a variety of different reasons. Maybe this is the year where that changes. So, uh, you know, even though everyone's saying... Alma's going to be the pick. What the hell? I'm going to go with Cortland. Come on, guys. Let's get the job done. Alfano St. John, pound the rock. Keep this Carter St. John kid on the sideline. Let's see, let's see if we can get a little Region 2 in the Final Four. What the hell? I'm going with Cortland. Um, they, they won it by one point against Grove City. Let's say they'll hang on to win this one 27-26. to 26. If, uh, Zach Boys is watching. Uh, DM me, Zach. Let me know what your thoughts on uh, these picks are because uh, I know you're out there somewhere. Uh, 
you've seen the quick hit, so you know where I'm going with it. I was originally going to pick Cortland in this game until I looked at the turnover margin for mm -hmm. the teams this season, the 27, as you said. Uh, every other aspect of the tail tape in this game is similar, yet Cortland's plus 11 margin mm. tells me that Alma might be able to secure more possessions and, as a result, points for the win. I'll pick yeah. Alma 35-24 as a result. good analysis. So yeah. uh, there is that. It's, it's, Finally... Let's uh, get uh, well. Yeah, we'll get on the teletape here, uh, as it's going to be uh, Randolph Macon versus Johns Hopkins game. I will be attending. Um, both teams have great offenses. Uh, Four hundred seventy plus yards per game for uh, Johns Hopkins. Five hundred yards mm -hmm. per game for Randolph Macon. But Randolph Macon's defense is the difference maker here for me. The turnover margin of plus seventeen versus plus two for Hopkins, and the yardage allowed by uh, Randolph Macon two twenty one versus three fifteen. Uh, that tells me that uh, Hopkins will struggle at times in this game to move the ball. I have Randolph-Macon winning this game 37-21. Yeah, and, and I, I tend to agree. I think that you know, their offensive and defensive lines are kind of putting them into a different category. And as good as Hopkins has been this year, um, yeah, that, that turnover differential... I mean, Harvey's going to have to make some plays, I think, to, to keep them in this game. Um, Sherman's going to need to make some plays on defense to keep um, Campanelli on his toes. I mean, I, I still can't believe that Drew has only thrown for 24 passing touchdowns. I mean, he's, he's you know, one of these QBs. And when you were kind of looking at what are, what are all the similarities between these eight teams, basically, you know, aside from a great run defense, a running game on offense, you, have a, you typically need a quarterback who can – pass for over 30, 35 touchdowns a year, uh, or a season rather. And Capanelli has that capability, but apparently he just hasn't needed to do it yet. So um, I'm, I think he could be the real catalyst in this game. And I, I, I agree with you, Frank. I think the Yellow Jackets are going to uh, figure out a way to pull this one out on the road. And yeah, it's probably like a 35 to 28 type of game. So, uh, two games in the Eastern time zone, two games in the Central time zone on Saturday. Uh, not much mystery on the fact that you could watch all four games in some format or another, but, uh, I mean, how are yep. you going to watch it uh, tomorrow? You know, I think um, you know, probably with multiple devices, you know, just get, like, the two, two screens going and one over here, one over here, and then wait to see what happens at 1 o'clock. I mean, Hopefully both of the noon games will live up to the hype because they, they seem to be the more evenly matched uh, teams to me. We'll see. Um, I have a feeling that North Central could have a big runaway win against Lacrosse, but time will tell there. Um, the Wartburg-Warhawks game is going to be interesting. I'll definitely keep an eye on that as much as I can for the you know first half. And Fortunately, the way these um, games have been going, Frank, is that halftime for noon has typically been hitting right at one o'clock when when the second games are kicking off. So we'll have a we'll have a nice transition, I think, um, assuming things kind of go as they normally do. So you can catch the whole first quarter of the one o'clock games to kind of get a sense of where those are headed before you jump back into the noon games for the second half. So that's probably what I'll do, and um, you know, uh, just be. Me and Ellie hanging out. Uh, Jen's going on a little trip this weekend, so I'll, I'll have to be on my best behavior, or, you know, home alone, and, and we'll see what happens. Ellie being the dog, for those wondering. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm excited to see this game. Uh, I've not ever watched Randolph make it in person uh, after mm. all these years. Uh, so 
It's uh, yeah. rare air for them to be in a quarterfinal, as you've heard. Uh, and so here we go uh, with that. And Hopkins, I have attended in a semifinal or a quarterfinal game, excuse me, before in terms of uh, the yeah. RPI game at Homewood. So uh, I'm, I'm, you know, look, people aren't going to give much credit to the right side of the bracket. But guess what? Somebody from the right side of the bracket, folks, is going to the Stag Bowl. Get over yeah. it because it's going to be historic for that team. And yeah, maybe they get run over and double mon- monkey stomped in uh, the uh, Stag Bowl or something <laughs> like that. But you know what? Yeah, they They're going to still have the achievement of getting to a Stag Bowl. And that is the type of thing that helps a team, a program, get new recruiting ability, helps them basically mm-hmm. get that extra week of practice, gets a, a quality team that they get to face off against. That could be the start of something big for the team, regardless of whether they win or lose by 40 in the Stag Bowl. So it's an important thing, and it's something that we will embrace and usher through here. Yeah, the left side's got some huge games still. The right side has some pretty damn good games too in their own right, and and we'll see who can get it to Stag Bowl. Yeah, and and when you look at it too, I mean, whoever wins the the Hopkins – you know, Randolph-Macon game, if they can make it to the Stag Bowl, Stag Bowl is a home game for those teams. I mean, let's face it, because Virginia, I mean, Randolph-Macon's just up the road. Baltimore is that, not, not that much further. Um, so they, there could be a good turnout. I mean, who knows? Maybe Alma or Cortland will be the team that punches their ticket. We'll see. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are giving Cortland a chance. Um, I'm taking a little bit of a flyer on them, so you know, good luck, Dragons. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think that um, you know one of these, if, especially if it's Randolph Macon. I mean, that's that's a that's kind of a different sort of situation for the Stag Bowl when you have actually like a home team um, from the same state. So we'll see how it happens. Well, if it's anything like last week, we're going to have some excitement uh, tomorrow. I, I don't know. I, I'm going a little chalky, I guess, in some of my picks here, uh, but we'll we'll see. I'll yeah. Do, at least one of those isn't. A definitive chalk game uh, that Wartburg Whitewater game. I don't think it's chalk either way. I, I think it's That's really a toss-up. Yeah. yeah, home team might have the slight advantage because of the home team uh, factor. Uh, and Alma yeah. uh, versus uh, Cortland might be some sort of uh, close game in terms of the stats too that we're seeing. So we'll see where this goes. Uh, Hopkins Randolph Macon. I think Macon comes in as the clear favorite numerically here. Uh, ironically, on the road, uh, so they have North Central syndrome probably yeah, right now. In North Central on the road versus <laughs> Lacrosse, we're not going to even go there because we've gone there plenty. We'll see you on Twitter. We'll see you next week on the show as we get semifinals. Don't forget, Glardy finalists announced on December seventh. So uh, that is coming up with the twenty semifinalists being whittled down at that time. We'll see you, folks. Enjoy the quarterfinals. Happy birthday, Mikey.